0: Good morning, everybody. Welcome, welcome. How is everybody this morning? Very good. Thanks, Noah. I appreciate that. Um, If you are new with us this morning, my name is Chris. I'm one of the pastors on staff here, and we do welcome you here this morning. Thanks for spending this time with us. Uh, As Angela said, just to reiterate, uh, this evening, 4 o'clock, our family meeting. We would love for it if you guys could be there. The reason we call it a family meeting is because for us, it's the one time, you know, uh, each six months or so that we can get the family together. And especially now with two services, you probably don't know a lot of the people at the 9 a.m. and the 9 a.m. folks don't know you guys. And so it might be a cool place to come uh, interact with some folks that you don't get to see often who are part of this church as well. But tonight will be a big discussion for us. As most of you know, we've been in the process of sifting through a building that we're looking at on 7th and Wallace, and it's kind of a big step for us. And so tonight will be an opportunity to talk through the nuts and the bolts of that, and then spend some time uh, just devoting to praying with one another for uh, that opportunity that God would continue to open and close doors. So um, if you guys would pray with me, let's, let's dig in this morning. Jesus, we thank you for this opportunity to gather in your name, Lord. Every week, it's just such an honor and a privilege, and I just pray, God, for those that are here this morning, that you would meet them in this place, as I know that there's probably some here who come here just worn out, tired, um, frustrated, angry. There's a lot that's happened in their life, and they're looking for answers. I pray that this morning might be the place where you'd meet them, and they would experience your your, your rest and your peace. Um, God, for the rest of us who maybe aren't necessarily feeling the anger or um, even feeling worn out or tired, God, I know that all of us come here this morning seeking you and wanting to honor you with our lives. And so I pray that you take your word. I pray that you take this discussion and that you would allow it to produce fruit in and through us, God, that our lives would become just the image bearers of Jesus, the light of the world that you've called us to, God. So we give you this time, uh, Lord, and I, do, again, thank you for each person here, and I pray you bless it, Lord, anoint this time in your name, amen. So the last three three weeks, We've been working through this kind of series of passages in the book of Matthew, and for those of you that have been around for a while, you know, we've been in Matthew for almost a year now, and we find ourselves in Matthew uh, chapter 12. And over the last few weeks, as we wrapped up chapter 11 and got into two sections of chapter 12, uh, we have read that Jesus has been dealing with opposition, and this opposition has come from these Pharisees, these religious leaders of Jesus' day. Um, and Jesus is facing opposition from them because of the actions that him and his disciples have permitted on this day called the Sabbath day. And so, in our sermon group uh, the last few weeks, as well as in my community group and various discussions I've had with our staff and other people, it became really apparent to me over the last three weeks um, that oftentimes when we see the Sabbath mentioned in the scriptures, it Sort of leads to this question of ourselves: of do do we need to observe this? Like, is the Sabbath something that we are are actually permitted to uphold? Do we need to observe that? Are we commanded to uphold the Sabbath? And so, I wanted to just take a Sunday, uh, a little bit different than most, and tackle this one question: like, are we commanded to uphold the Sabbath as followers of Jesus, as Christians? And um, it's a really good question. And I want to preface this this morning by by saying this, just to be radically honest with you guys. Heather and I have spent years of our lives trying to figure out what this looks like for us, what Sabbath looks like, what rest looks like. We've had seasons in our life where we've done really well with it, and we've had seasons in our life where we've completely blown it and we have not rested very well. And I want you guys all to know going into this that I'm not speaking from a place this morning as somebody who's dialed it in and figured it out. I really don't want you guys to assume that I'm giving you something that I myself have figured out and have locked in and have a good pulse of because for me, this whole Sabbath rhythm in my own life has changed a lot throughout the years. Um, But I'm somebody who continues through trial and error to try to figure out how this translates into my life. And it's something that I do care about and something that I desperately need because if uh, you're anything like me, I'm just like, Pedal to, what do you, how do you say it? Pedal to the metal. There you go. Um, in life in general, I do not like downtime. I like to go, 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 and I will kill myself just going, 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 and never stopping. Um, first of all, uh, this morning, I wanted to answer this question, of what is Sabbath? For those of you that maybe have not been with us or have no idea what this word is or where it came from, this word Sabbath or Shabbat in Hebrew uh, is a word that means to cease. It literally means to stop. It means to rest. And it has its beginnings, as most of us know, uh, in the book of Genesis, in the creation account, when God created the earth and mankind, uh, and God stops to rest on the seventh day, it says, for, uh, from his creation. And it's important for us to, no- to note, as we read through that, uh, that God did not rest on the seventh day because he was tired. How many of you know God does not need sleep, right? He, he doesn't need rest. God didn't rest because he was tired. God rested actually because he was finished. His work was done. He, he rested because he was finished. And then Genesis 2, 1 through 3 says this. It says, thus, the heavens and the earth were finished and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day, and he made it holy. It was set apart. Because on it, God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. So here's the second important thing to this, um, with regards to this passage in Genesis 2. Is that it's not commanded of anybody at this point. Um, who, Who's the one that's resting on this day. It's God. And he's not commanding anybody else to rest at this point. It's just an explanation to us of what God did in the creation account. And so it doesn't become a command for centuries and centuries later. You go into the book of Exodus in chapter 20, verse eight, and then these these 10 commandments are given um, to Moses. And the fourth of these 10 commandments is this commandment to keep the Sabbath day, to keep it holy. And so the question is, like, why is this commandment given? Why is it a commandment? And why are individuals supposed to follow the commandment? Why did God issue this command? So then you you fast forward a little bit. You read in Deuteronomy 5, um, verses 13 to 15, it says this. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter or your male servant or your female servant, or your ox, or your donkey, any of your livestock or the sojourner who's within your gates, that your male servant and your female servant may rest as well as you. And then he says this in verse 15, you shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt and the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. So we're given this answer to the question of why they were supposed to follow the Sabbath commandment, the why and the what. You shall not work, that's the first instruction, cease, this rest, the Sabbath, cease from working. But then he actually goes on to say that you should do something, and that something you're supposed to do is you shall remember. So in the same way that God didn't work on the seventh day, you and I actually aren't to work on the seventh day, which in Jewish cultures was a Saturday. So for them, um, it was Friday evening to Saturday evening was their Shabbat or their Sabbath. And so they were supposed to cease from work for that time period. And so we read God initiated this when he rested on in the creation account and God sort of set the model for you and I to follow, but then it's not commanded till later when the law is given. And then in addition to this whole idea of just, resting, ceasing from work on this day, he says that you actually should take the time to remember. And so what specifically did he say that they were supposed to remember on this day? They were supposed to remember that at one point in time, they were slaves and that God actually freed them, that God actually brought them out of slavery and was about to usher them in to the promised land. That was the remembrance portion for them. And so there's this why and this what. So at this point, going back to our initial question, should we keep the Sabbath? It seems pretty obvious. I mean, at this point, you'd be like, I think we should keep it. Uh, I mean, it made the top 10 of the commandments, right? Ranked to number four. That's pretty high out of 10, four out of 10. But if you're not supposed to break any other commandment, for instance, number six, which is what? Anybody know it off the top of your head? Do not murder. If you're not supposed to break any other commandments, you're not supposed to command adultery or steal or covet. So, why in the world would we be encouraged to break number four, remembering the Sabbath and keeping it holy? And what's odd is like this one of the 10 seems to stand out from the rest of them all because it's one that we don't often talk about. It's one that we don't often adhere to. And so when you read the list and you see this one and realize it's the only one we rarely take into consideration when we read the 10 commandments, I think it should cause us to sort of ask the question, why? Why don't we uphold this one? But the rest of them we talk about all the time. And it's important to note that of the Ten Commandments, this call to keep the Sabbath is the only one of the Ten Commandments that's a ceremonial uh, law. The, the other nine are more moral in scope. And so, in fact, uh, the other nine are referred to in the New Testament, and the only one of the ten not spoken of as a commandment in the New Testament is keeping the Sabbath. It's the only one. And it's interesting, if you go back into the Sermon on the Mount where we were just a few months ago, You'll see that Jesus refers to the other nine commandments, each themselves, and then he kind of ups the ante with regards to each nine, uh, but he doesn't even mention the Sabbath in the, in the Sermon on the Mount. So it's the one that Jesus kind of leads out. And then if you fast forward to Acts chapter 15, there's this council of Jerusalem that's called together. And the question that this council is wrestling with is what should we do with all these Gentiles? What should we do with all these non-Jews that are coming to faith in Jesus? What should we lay on them or expect of them? Like what Jewish tradition should be put on these people? What should they uphold? And Sabbath is never mentioned even at this council. In fact, they, they say don't even worry about circumcision either. And then you get to the book of Colossians, And Paul sheds some light on this whole discussion when he writes this. He says, Therefore let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regards to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. And then he says this. Listen to this part. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Christ. These things were a shadow of things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. And so does that mean that the Sabbath keeping is no longer encouraged in the New Testament? I would say this morning, no, in my opinion, no. Um, Remember, Jesus didn't come to abolish the law, but to what? Fulfill the law. And so as you look at this passage in Colossians, what Paul is saying is he's telling us that the Sabbath actually pointed ahead that it served as a shadow of Jesus. It wasn't abolished by Jesus, but it was actually fulfilled by Jesus. Everybody in this room knows what a shadow is, correct? I know it's been a few months since you've seen one around here, but we all know what a shadow is. If I was walking down Sherman Avenue after church this afternoon, let's just say it was really sunny. I'm gonna put myself in like July or August right now. It's sunny out, I'm walking down Sherman, and I see one of you guys across the street you see me, we say hi, we start walking towards each other, and as we're nearing each other, the sun is behind you, and your shadow is being cast down in front of you. What's going to get to me first when I see you? Your shadow. Your shadow's going to hit me first. And wouldn't it be strange if as you got to me, I was watching your shadow the whole time, and then you got to me, and I was just like, hey, what's up, shadow? You know, and you're like, dude, you are a strange... You're a strange duck, man. Like, I'm right here. Talk to me, not the shadow. I'm like, God, what's up, shadow? You know, you'd think I was just kind of crazy. But here's what Paul is saying in this passage He's saying Jesus is actually here. He's actually here. Don't be enamored with the shadow. Jesus is actually amongst us. He's arrived. All of these things pointed to Jesus, but now he's arrived. Jesus came. And so if you remember the lead into Matthew chapter 12, before all the Sabbath talk, eleven twenty-eight, he said, come to me all who labor and are heavy laden, I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and lowly in heart and you will find rest for your soul. And then immediately after this, there's this confrontation after confrontation over over Sabbath keeping. And remember, again, I've talked about how important the structure is. Like Matthew lays things out in a very specific way for a specific reason. So what's Matthew trying to tell us when he comes out of 11 and he's talking about coming to him, all who labor and are heavy laden, and you will find rest for your soul. And then all of a sudden, now there's these back-to-back Sabbath discussions, these confrontations going on. And I think that what Matthew's trying to tell us is that Jesus is our rest. That now Jesus actually is our Sabbath, that you come to him. Don't be enamored by his shadow. Look him in the eyes. Come to him. He's here. He's actually inviting you to himself. Sabbath rest isn't simply taking a day off a week. Sabbath rest is no longer working for what you can attain, but realizing that it's about what Jesus attained for you. And so here's, uh, so Jesus is our rest. So you don't go back to that. Like, you have him. Find rest in Jesus. And the Pharisees, they, they worked really hard at not working hard, if you know what I mean. Like, they, they had not found rest, and they totally missed Jesus. They, they were caught up with the shadow, and they actually missed the substance of who he was. And so, too, with, me, with many of us, you and I today, um, and I'm not just talking about Sabbath, there are so many people today who have become satisfied with the shadows. Like that's, that's enough. And unfortunately, they've totally missed Jesus. That might be some of you in this room. You've been caught up in the shadow. You haven't actually seen the substance of who he is and what he's offering to. Because in our culture, we actually love shadows in our culture. It, it, we love shadows. We're really good at finding partial, fir- partial forms of fulfillment in so many different things in life rest even being one of them. We're sort of satisfied with shadows of rest, partial rest, the idea of eventually having rest, but never actually attaining the complete rest that God has actually offered you. It's like we want rest, and we go looking for it in vacations. We go looking for it in hobbies and activities, and it's just partial. It's the shadow. It's not complete, we, we work constantly, we wear ourselves out with the hope that we can eventually make enough money to stop working, only to never be fully satisfied and ready to step into a complete rest that Jesus is offering us. And the grueling part about the cycle is that we always find ourselves at a place where we don't have enough money saved up to follow through with the rest that we hoped for, do we? We're always in the cycle of like, I'm saving so that I can rest at some point. I'm acquiring stuff in my bank account so one day I can retire. And I guess the question is, what point do you have to get to before you say, I'm actually going to cease from working in increments now and partake in the rest that God's offering me currently? Instead of waiting for something that might happen, that could happen, that may not ever happen, and writing off everything else that's important in the meantime because you're hoping that you're going to get this long-term rest of some sort. We tell ourselves it's only a period of time that we'll have to kill ourselves working because eventually we'll have this passive income to sit back and not work at all. And these are shadows. And and the reality is that we've failed to enter into his rest because his rest requires two things. His rest requires, one, you ceasing from work, like you have to stop at some point and take a break. And two, you got to remember where your rest comes from. This is the whole remembering portion of it. And I think that that that's at the core of the Sabbath. If scripture says that the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath, then Sabbath for you and I was a gift. It's this gift that can only come from one person and in one person, and it's Jesus. And Sabbath, it seems to be this hot topic that's that's conversed about these days. You have tons of pastors preaching about it. You got tons of books being written on it primarily i think because we as pastors are literally watching a culture kill themselves and destroy everything good in their lives because of work and money and, and and where they find value in their current culture and pastors are guilty of it like i'm guilty of it killing myself to work overtime always justifying it with something never creating space or time to actually have sabbath ourselves And here's the sticky part of this whole dilemma for me is that you have two different camps regarding Sabbath in the Western church. You have one, this camp that says that Jesus is our rest, that he is our Sabbath. And so there's no need to uphold a literal Sabbath. There's no need to take one day off because Jesus is the Sabbath. And there's a partial truth to this. The other camp says that you have to uphold a literal Sabbath to a T, like the Jews were commanded to do, Friday night to Saturday night, and that Sabbath is this binding commandment for Christians, which again, isn't all wrong. There may be an element of truth to this, but again, it's not complete. And then this is where it sort of gets difficult. Should we observe it or shouldn't we observe it? And I believe Jesus would say yes. As hard of an answer as that is, should we or shouldn't we? And Jesus says, yes, which can be kind of a confusing answer when it's both and. And I think that much of Jesus's life and teaching weren't always black and white, as much as they were Jesus pointing to living into a tension, a holy tension of sorts, a a healthy tension. And I often find as a pastor that what people want me to give them is black or white. It's a tell me what to do mentality. I mean, honestly, even through the the election season, like, tell me which way to vote. Like, I want you to give me black or white, or I guess it's red or blue. Tell me which one. And so people are constantly looking for someone to make it so clear to them so they know exactly what to do because it actually removes the element of being a spirit-led follower of Jesus. What is Jesus saying to you to do? Is he inviting you into rest, or am I setting the form for you so that you go do it? I can encourage you, but man, that's got to be something you, by his spirit, be led into. So what we do is we end up going to these extremes on one side or the other, and it doesn't really alleviate the tension. But what it does is it gives us a system to function in that allows us to convince ourselves that the tension doesn't actually exist because we don't actually like living in tension. And this was exactly why the Pharisees missed Jesus because they just wanted the rules to be followed so much so that they started taking commandments like keeping the Sabbath and defining them for themselves, which then did not allow them to see Jesus for who he was, the Messiah. Because in their eyes, Jesus was breaking the law and therefore could not be the Messiah when actually Jesus never broke God's law once. What he did was break the variants of the law that the Pharisees had derived from God's law. It was their own little laws that they derived from the actual laws that were given. We talked about this a couple weeks ago. It says, keep the Sabbath. Well, then you have, a, the, you have for generations on generations, traditions being handed down by different rabbis of what in the world that would look like to actually cease from work. What is work? And then defining all these crossing T's and dotting I's, this is what work is. And that was never what God said work was. He didn't define work, he said cease from it. And so we would rather have this list of to-dos or, or list of don'ts, list of do's or don'ts, and it's clean cut. It's easy to follow. And so I hesitate in even giving you my personal opinion with regards to this, um, this question of upholding the Sabbath, because I don't want to create the form and function for you. But, But we sit here in the 21st century as believers in the Western church, living in a world that is tired, In a world that honestly is working nonstop. We've literally built corporations that work their people around the clock. If there's one thing that I've heard more in the uh, last year about people that are moving here, they're like, I needed to get out of the rat race that I was in. I was working constantly. My family paid the price for that. I needed to find rest. I needed to go somewhere where I could kind of break free from it all. Like People are in search of trying to find rest. And when we're not working, what are we doing? We're working on a freelance project or or we're trying to develop another business on the side to make more money and fill our time even more. Like we just, as a culture, do not know how to cease. And I'm here to raise my hand first this morning and say like, I struggle in this area because I want to go, 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 build, 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 do, do, do all the time. And it's almost as though to cease in our culture is defined as laziness and that's why we don't want to stop because I don't ever want to be perceived as lazy and so herein lies another tension because the Bible speaks strongly about work ethic and working hard and it speaks strongly about laziness and equating it to somebody who's denied their faith and is worse off than an unbeliever and so there's this balance you work hard you cease hard and that's okay you work hard but you know when to stop and you know when you need rest. And the reality is if statistics hold true, then the majority of you in this room right now are stressed out. 73% of Americans have stress that impacts their mental health. 73%. 75% of Americans experience moderate to high stress levels in the past month. And this one's crazy. Stress is the number one health concern of high school students. Number one and everybody's asking this question like why is this so how do we find rest how can we eliminate our stress and our hurriedness and our never-ending pursuit of more uh, years ago heather and i moved from seattle to san diego and in the early 2000s we were living in seattle and if any of you have lived there before it's just a crazy chaotic city I mean, it's constantly on the go. Traffic was everywhere. People were all trying to work up the ladder in the corporate world and make something of themselves and build build the next business. It was just constant chaos, and we grew accustomed to it. And then we moved to San Diego, and I got this, the Lord showed me this amazing real-life illustration of what rest looked like. And uh, in Seattle, I would go into a Starbucks, let's say, and um, I don't know if any of you have ever waited in a line at Starbucks in Seattle, but what's that like? I got somewhere to be, like, come on. Those machines are automated. It should only take you two minutes to make my coffee. Like, come on, I got things to do. People get ticked, they get all worked up over it. My first day in, in living in Carlsbad, California, um, Heather and I wake up in our apartment, we're brand new to the area, we walk down to the 101, we go to this, this Starbucks on the 101, and the line is out the door and down the sidewalk. It was so long, and I, I get up to this line, and I'm expecting, like, come on, come on. And what I got is a bunch of surfer dudes. They're just like, what's up, man? Yeah, cool. Like, 45-minute wait for a cup of coffee, and they're just like, it's all good. I'm like, this is crazy. Like, the dichotomy that, that I saw there, like, the contrast between the two. And, and, and yet, we live in a culture that is moving towards that. I'm sure if you go back to Carlsbad now, it's not the same as it was 15 years ago when I lived there but we live in this culture that's constantly on the move like we're stressed and we're tired because we never stop and it's a problem and we're actually deteriorating our most prized possession in the pursuit of this busy life our soul is actually what's paying for the pursuit our relationship with Jesus gets the leftovers from this busy life that we live and so should you keep a sabbath As a pastor this morning, I would say yes, you should, but I wouldn't say that without prefacing the statement a little bit. I wrote down seven things that we should remember if we're going to keep a sabbat a Sabbath, sabbat that's funny Um, a Sabbath. And I hesitate to even give you guys these seven things because I don't want to recreate the form and the function that Jesus was sort of pushing back against, but. Um, there's seven things that I want you to think about and I want you to pray about and I want you to take it before the Lord and ask how he would actually have you live in to uh, a Sabbath in your own life because after the last few weeks of just kind of studying through and talking over Sabbath I'm pretty convinced that there's more to Sabbath than just stopping what you're doing and doing whatever you want and calling it a Sabbath that there's something more to it so here's some things that I've thought through one that the Sabbath is a time of remembrance. That, that we should take time to remember that God brought you, just like the Israelites, out of slavery like he did the Israelites. He saved you and, and make much of Jesus It was his Passover that led us out of slavery. It was Jesus' baptism and death that leads us into the promised land. This is key. Make it a time of remembrance. Sabbath wasn't just given to us to go live our recreational life void of remembrance of what this day is actually about. Two, let it be an act of worship. In the same way that God rested at his finished creation work, take time in your rest to celebrate that you too are a new creation in Jesus. You're complete and finished in Christ. Worship because your rest is in him. Three, let it be an event that bears witness. And when I say event, like something that you intentionally mark down on your calendar and say no to good things in order to follow through with. Like our decision in our life to rest actually demonstrates greater faith than most of the other things that we do in life because it's not normal. Hebrews 4.1, the author of Hebrews gives a fairly stern warning about rest. He says, therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. It's imperative that we find Jesus' rest. The author of Hebrews goes on to say this in chapter 4, 9, and 10. There remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For anyone who enters God's rest also rests from his own work just as God did from his. And then listen to this. Let us therefore make every effort to enter that rest. Some translations say something to the effect of strive for God's rest, which sounds so ironic, doesn't it? Strive for rest. Like make every attempt, make every effort to enter into his rest. If any of you guys have ever been to Israel or you know much about the Jewish culture, their Shabbat, like their Sabbath from Friday night to Saturday night, is a ton of work. It's a ton of work. They will spend all day Friday preparing for the meal, setting the table, getting everything ready for the family so that from, from Friday night to Saturday night, they don't have to work or do anything so that they can have everything done and prepared and the family can enjoy the Sabbath rest 24-hour period that they get. It's a ton of work. And so to relate that to you and I, I think we often think that Sabbath and rest is something that just should happen, right? My rest is found in Jesus. Okay, okay how (laughs) it actually will take you saying no to things and sort of penciling him in like are you going to schedule some time this week I don't care if you start out with two hours three hours are you going to take some time where you're just going to like get away you're going to do something you're going to do something to bring rest not only to your physical body but rest to your soul and you have to mark that off because how many of you in this room know that it just doesn't happen Like, the older I get, the more I live and die by a calendar, and I hate it. Everything's on a calendar. I have to be somewhere in a half an hour and then an hour. So for me to have, like, Fridays and Saturdays are my days off. I don't feel any freer throughout my week than I do on Thursday nights. Because I don't have any plans on Friday. There's nobody on the schedule. There's nobody I'm meeting with. I go to bed Thursday night, and it feels so good. Because it's like, I don't have to think about what I need to do in the morning, what meeting I need to be at here. I just get to spend a day in, in rest. And for rest, I know that's different for everybody. But fourth thing, um, that it be done in recognition that you're human too. Like, why should you Sabbath? Because the reality is you actually need rest. Your f- physical being needs rest. And I like what Mark writes in Mark 6. He says, the apostles returned to Jesus and told him all that they had done and taught. And he said to them, come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. For many were coming and going and they had no leisure even to eat. And just to put your hearts at ease this morning, like Jesus gives you permission to rest. In fact, he calls you to it. Some of you are laboring and you're teaching and you're going and doing. And Jesus says, let me get you out of here for a little while. Let's go to a desolate place. Let's eat. Let's rest. Number five, you got to hold this kind of loosely because otherwise you're going to fall back into the same legalism category that the Pharisees fell into. I do think, at least in my own life, that you have seasons where you work long hours and many days in a row. And I don't think that we're necessarily being disobedient in that, in the same way that I don't think someone is being disobedient if they only work five days a week and not six. I mean, Jewish culture, they were working six days a week, 12-hour days, sunrise to sundown every single day. They were working constantly. So this one day off was a huge deal for them. Number six, and this is one that I'm posing more as a question this morning, is what day should you Sabbath. Um, for Heather and I, just to be real practical and honest with you guys, again, my days are Friday and my days off Friday and Saturdays. For years of our life, our kids went to private school. Their schedules matched ours. Friday was the day. We didn't do anything with anybody else. It was just time for our family. And then how many of you know that as your kids get older and their lives change, like your schedule changed. I have a almost 16 year old son who works a job has his own life like he's busy he has stuff going on all the time and so heather and i they're in school on fridays now so heather and i get time together on fridays um saturday mornings my my son judah is working so i don't get time with him on those days but on Monday nights, we do this family devotional night where it's just the four of us. We read through a passage of the Bible. We talk about it. We spend time praying with one another. And so the way we've kind of seen this fit into our life, like I sort of divide my Sabbath up into three areas, and I'm not pushing this off on you. But for me, it's like I need time alone. I need time with my kids, devoted time with my kids. I need devoted time with my wife. And that to me doesn't always happen on 120 in 124 hour period. Right now it's happening on Fridays for a little bit and then it's happening on Mondays for a little bit. My encouragement to you is to get not get super legalistic on the day or the time. Although it is kind of interesting when you think about the fact that growing up in Cortland, there was most of the town was shut down on Sundays and there were never sports on Sundays. And in our community group over the last 2 weeks, the constant conversation has been man, you know, our kids are in club sports and they play sports all day Sundays. They got this going on and this going on. And it's like the nation, whether it's a godly nation or not, used to kind of give us a bye because Sundays everything was closed down and it seemed to be a really good day for the family to sort of shut down. Church becomes a priority, family becomes a priority. And now you have everything vying for your attention on Sundays that's vying for it everywhere else. And so if you don't at some point sit down, like husband and wife, families, and say, what are the good things things that we will say no to in order to pick up the better things, which is the rest and the time that our family actually needs. If you don't do that, every single day we'll just own you and you live your life basically trying to put money away in a bank account with the hopes of eventually saving up that you can get a vacation. So I'm going to work really hard for a two-year period, and eventually I'm going to get a vacation. And then you get to that point, and the money's not there, and you still can't go on a vacation, and you're still tired, and you still haven't rested, and it's still, you continue to repeat the cycle over and over again. So at what point do you start to cease? Like, I'm literally going to stop. And I'm going to check this time slot off throughout my week that I'm just going to devote to, whether that's time you want to go do something recreational and have it be a worshipful experience, I think that can be. Some of you in this room would rather sit on the couch all day. Anybody? Nice. Nice. You're just afraid to raise your hand. Um, But it could be different for everybody. So what is it that the Lord is calling you to? How is he calling you to rest? And then the seventh thing is this. Another question I'll pose. Again, what do you do on your Sabbath? And my answer is simple for you guys. It's anything good. Anything good. For, for some of you, again, that's lying on a couch all day. For some of you, that's getting outside. For some, it means something in between. If it's good, go do it. Jesus said to his disciples that, that he wanted them to come away with him to a desolate place and rest a while because they couldn't even eat. They were so busy. And some of you in this room know that feeling because you sense the stress in your life. You sense just the constant go, 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 and you feel so tired and worn out, but yet you haven't created the space to just spend time in rest. And again, it does not have to be a 24-hour period. Start small. Is there an hour a week that you can commit to just rest? Is there a two-hour period a week you can commit to rest? Someone once said in terms of this that it should be filled with things that are different than what is normal in your work life. Make it different, make it restful, worshipful, and good. And I would also say this, don't forget who the Lord is, because we know by his word that he's the Lord of the Sabbath, Jesus is. Don't forget why the Sabbath was created. It was created for you and I as a gift, and keep in mind that sometimes your Sabbath will be a day where you even are required to pull a bunch of sheep out of of ditches, And you're required to like heal the man with the withered hand. We talked about this last week is that he desires mercy, right? That mercy is at the heart of the Sabbath because he had mercy for us. We in turn extend mercy to others. And I say this because there are some who really dedicate are dedicated to their Sabbath, but so much so that you turn down opportunities to extend mercy to others in order to preserve your Sabbath. And I think by the life of Jesus, we can see that if there's some need that's made available on your Sabbath, don't turn it down to focus on your Sabbath, but go fill the need. I wanna close with this story that I read in a book this past week. Uh, Anybody here read the book called The Rest of God? Anybody read that book? Nice, Trevor. Um, And anyway, I was reading that book this last week, and the author shares this true story about his, his wife's grandma, that she spent her whole life in this mining town And that she was constantly watching people coming and going in pursuit of gold. She spent her life questioning how in the world people could be so fixated on finding gold. And it was so frustrating to her because she would see a look in their eyes when they came into town, that they were on the prowl for one thing. They were willing to do whatever and lose whatever in order to find gold. And he says this, I'll read it. He says, one day, grandma was in her backyard polishing a large stone. It was a boulder that sat in her garden, too big to move. It was one of those stones, round and smooth, tumbled by eons of wind and ice and water, thickly embedded with glittery chunks of mineral. She was polishing it with sandpaper. Her logic was that since she couldn't be rid of the thing, she may as well beautify it, try to remove the scumble of dullness on its surface and hone it to a lustrous sheen. She was going to make it the centerpiece of her garden. But she got more than that. As she sanded, she noticed a thin sifting of gold gathering on the stone. She pressed the tip of her finger into it and pulled up a caking of gold dust. Her heart began to race. She sanded faster, leaning her whole body into it, and more gold began to appear. Now she was scrubbing that rock as if it were a bloodstain blood stain with strong sweeping strokes, and gold began to accumulate rapidly. She caught the fixation that all the miners had. She understood with perfect instinct what all this time she would dismissed as sheer nonsense, growing, grown men squandering all else, homes and farms and families and reputations, and flinging themselves headlong into reckless escapades, spending their years burrowing beneath tree roots, grubbing through silk beds. But now she had it too, the like gold fever. She was going to be rich. She stopped for a moment to wipe her brow to rest a bit. And that's when she noticed that something was wrong with her wedding ring. The top side was normal, but the underside wasn't. The band was thin as a cheese slicer wire. She had nearly sanded her wedding ring clean off. All that gold was merely filings. It was the remnants of her heirloom. It was her treasure reduced to dust. And I read this and like, felt heartbroken over the story. But mainly because in all honesty, I know there's been seasons of my own life where I've squandered treasures in pursuit of dust. And we're often guilty of eroding these irreplaceable things in our life in an effort to extract something that actually isn't there. And then you get to a point where you realize that you've said no to all the things that you would remember in an effort to gain something you'll eventually forget. And we're constantly chasing that lie. The the lie of hurry, the lie of rest, the lie of money, the lie of career, the lie of being self-made. For what? We're we're, we're chasing it for the dust of the irreplaceable things that we are left with. In 2007, uh, when Dallas Willard was asked if he had one word that would describe Jesus, one word, you guys, anybody know what that word was? Relaxed which I thought was a really interesting answer. Think about all the pressure that Jesus was under. Think about all the demands for Jesus' time in his life. Think of the fact that he could only be in one place at one time while knowing that there was a bunch of stuff going on everywhere. I think Jesus knew what it meant to feel the demands of life, to feel the demands of time, to feel the demands of ministry and opportunity. But yet Jesus never stressed. Jesus always made time for others. Jesus always made time for his Father. And I think when it comes to the Sabbath, it's an opportunity for us to rest our bodies, to relax, to remember who provides rest for us, to remember that not only is our physical body at rest in him, but our soul is actually at rest in him. And the Sabbath is an opportunity to resist the tides of the world being thrown at us so that we can take a moment to be restored and prepared for what's next. The reason we're tired is because it's been one week after another where you're just like, I'll find rest next week and then it doesn't happen. You roll into the next week gets a Sunday again, I'm so tired, I'll find rest in three days. I'm saving money so I can go on vacation. We just keep pushing this rest down the road. And we keep repeating the cycle. And at some point, you stop. For me, there's been two instances in my life where I've had complete anxiety attacks and broke down, ended up in the hospital thinking I was having heart attacks and just freaking out. Over all the cares of this world, only to realize, like, what for? Like, well, what did I say no to in order to say yes to all those things? You say no to family. You say no to friends, being present in life. Anybody seen the Mr. Rogers movie? Like, my wife and I walked away from that movie going, like, dude, that guy was so present with every person that he spent time with. Like, how amazing is that? And I got to imagine Jesus was the same, where he just was so present, so kind. Everybody got the, the best of his time. They didn't get the leftovers from it. And yet we live in a world that we're just hoping we have enough leftovers for our kids when we get home. We're hoping our wife or our husband has, a, there's a little bit left within me when I get home at night. And it's just like nobody else deserves the leftovers in your life that are a result of you lacking the ability to find rest. If we want to be more present, then we devote some time to rest in our week. So here's my challenge to you guys before we pray. Um, This Sunday is the first Sunday in Lent. Started last Wednesday on Ash Wednesday. And the period of Lent is this 40 days leading up to Easter. And um, as I was thinking about this this morning, I just was thinking maybe the challenge for us You know, like the Catholics would fast throughout the the Lent season in order to um, sort of feel what Jesus felt in his 40 days in the wilderness, like to align themselves with the Lord in this fasting for 40 days. Um, For us, my challenge for you in the next 40 days is can you find one moment a week and can you schedule it right now before you leave here today that you're gonna take time to rest and be with him? Just one moment. I don't care if it's an hour. I don't care if it's a day. What do you have? Pencil it out. Put it on, like literally grab your calendars right now. If you're like me, if it doesn't go in there, the, day, the days and the weeks are just gonna get filled. And so over the next four weeks, what does it look like for you to create a Sabbath? And in that time, spend some time remembering who Jesus is and what Jesus did for you and what that rest is that he's offering not only to your physical body, but to your soul. Would you guys stand with me? I wanna pray for you this morning. Um, I had, it was kind of interesting after the first service, I had a woman come up to me who's been injured for the last six weeks and she said, I've had the most restful six weeks ever. Like that was such an ironic message because I've just had so much rest. And there was another guy standing next to us when she said it and, and he looked at me and he goes, she might be the only one in the room that's had that. And I'm like, that's, it's true. Most of us do not know rest. We're tired and worn out. I want to pray for you this morning that you could find, you could enter into that rest with Jesus. Would you you pray with me? Jesus, I thank you for this rest that you offer us, God. And I confess, Lord, that so often in my own life, it's so difficult to live into. Much easier said than done but I pray, Lord, for your spirit to be at work in your church, Jesus, that the Sabbath rest that we enter into would not be a result of Chris telling us to do it or something we read or something um, that was said to us. Um, Lord, but it would be a result of us drawing near to you and understanding that, Jesus, we need times in our week where we can be alone. We need times in our week where we can find that rest, where we can cease from our work and the chaos of our lives to devote some time to you. And I pray for each individual in this room that in the next weeks to come, that you would show them the time, help them create the space. And I pray, Jesus, that you would meet them in that time and in that space. Do a work in them, Jesus, that would carry on for weeks to come as they realize the benefit of drawing near to you in rest and the fact that they could continue to benefit from that rest in weeks to come. Jesus, I pray your blessing upon each person here, and I pray as we leave, God, that you'd lighten our load, lighten the burdens, and you'd be with us, God. We thank you for your peace, Jesus, that surpasses all understanding and your rest um, that exists within us through your son, Jesus, in your name. Amen.